I think you should build a career in data science. Welcome to Build a Career in Data Science. I'm your host, Jacqueline Nolas. And I'm also your host, Emily Robinson. This podcast is a data download into all the non-technical knowledge and skills you need to succeed in a data science career, from getting into the field to becoming a seasoned expert. We're covering it here. In season one of the podcast, we'll be discussing a different chapter of our book, also called Build a Career in Data Science, each week. You can buy the book at bestbook.cool and get 40% off with a discount code BUILDBOOK40%. But if you don't have it yet, you won't get any less enjoyment out of this podcast. But do buy it. This week, we are diving into chapter six of the book, which is all about writing a resume and a cover letter. And, you know, this chapter of our book, this when I was writing, it really felt like one of the most important chapters, purely because so many people have so many questions. When it comes to thinking about like, moving ahead in data science is always about like, how do you get to a how do you get to an interview? What does your resume look like? How do you do on the interview? Like there's these sorts of very tactical career advice for data science questions. They just kept up kept coming up over and over the people who are our target audience. Yeah, and I even feel like in some ways it's maybe less of an exciting topic, though, than like data science failures, you know, or like data science companies. Um, and I do think like, you know, the advice we have is both advice that applies, you know, that that is pretty standard across industries, you know, like certain ways of formatting your resume or bullet points. But we also do want to talk, uh, we talk in the book, we want to talk here about Specifically, a lot of people in data science are transitioning from other fields and how to position those previous work experiences. Um, and, you know, these questions like, should I have my GitHub link? Should I put projects on it? What about certificates? So we'll be doing a little mix here of just like the philosophical parts like resumes and cover letters, and then also some very uh, you know, tactical tips for for writing the the best one possible. Yeah, uh, and one note of clarification: you um said this isn't the most exciting topic, but for the purpose of this podcast episode, it is the most exciting. Please keep. You're right. I'm, I'm so yes, it's very exciting. We have lots of like you know great thoughts, and we'll we'll hear. I don't know, maybe Jacqueline, you want to share like the worst resumes you ever saw? No, that's that's oh, not geez. nice. Uh, well, you wouldn't say who it was. I'm sure you don't even remember. I just, I, I can't imagine like you having like a wall in your apartment that's like dedicated where you print it out. With like a <laughs> knife holding it in the wall. Yeah. The bad one. No. Yes. Um, so, okay. Before we dive into this, um, we have a question for you. And then this is, this is almost like obnoxious of a question, but I'm going to ask, what's a resume? What's a resume, Emily? What are we talking about? What is it? Yeah, so a resume is a summary of essentially your qualifications for a job that you're applying for. So generally, it's a page, it might be like two pages or a couple, depending on the field, how experienced you are. But it shares the most relevant details like your education. Um, so what's your degree? Uh, in, if you have one, um, previous jobs that you've had, what you did at those jobs, what you accomplished. Um, for technical resumes, you might have a skills section that talks about like specific uh, languages that you know. Uh, yeah, so the basic idea is that it should give hiring managers like a pretty quick summary picture of you know who you are. Uh, so they, you know, for example, you can a resume will tell, okay, is this person applying with twenty years experience or are they a new graduate? Did they get a degree in math or was it in art history? To have they worked as a data scientist before or not? Um, and this is basically the resume is. Pretty much all, except maybe if you come in through a referral, pretty much every company you apply to, like you will submit a resume to. And it is that first, like, it's about getting your foot in the door and getting to that hiring interview. 
Yes, and okay. So it, I said like this is almost an obnoxious question because of how obviously we're different. Like so many people know what a resume is, but I would say your point there of like this is a document that gets the hiring manager to understand who are you and what is your background. I see. So I've um you know I've done a lot of hiring. I've been on hiring panels, things like that. People get this wrong all the time. All the time, they write resumes where it's not the goal. Well, at least it appears when you're reading it. It's not the goal. Like, this is a document that was written. So I, when reading it, will understand what this person's doing as quickly as possible. But instead, it's like, oh, this document's listing like every activity this person's ever done in their lives. And it's like, um, or like, like it is, it is the, the record of which you are judged of like, you need to, like, I'm going to look at every line of your resume and if the, the sum of all the points you've earned in each line to sum up to something, you get an interview. And it's not. It's it's very much a, okay, who is this person? What's their deal? Well, And most importantly, would they possibly have a chance of doing well at this job? And if so, let's bring them in for an interview. And if not, whoosh, I guess they go with a knife in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I maybe said this in the book um, of like the point, right, the point is it's not an exhaustive record of like everything you've possibly done. Like no one's ever going to be like, well, they didn't include that babysitting job. They did it like 12 years old. So like, well, that, that, you know, I'm not going to hire them now. No, it's exactly what you said. And we'll talk more about this, but trying to really like tailor your resume first to like data science in general, and then also where possible, like to a specific job if needed. Um what about, and, and okay, I'm going to ask you, Jacqueline, because the other thing we, we said at the top, right, resumes and cover letters. So this is maybe a little less obvious, but what's a cover letter, Jacqueline? So this is tough. And I say this is tough for me specifically because I don't think I use cover letters as much as I should. Um, but <laughs> my understanding is like the resume is really, okay, the hiring manager, they're going to look at it, try and understand your background real quick, blah, blah, blah. The cover letter is like, here's a page of just like you actually in words describing Hey, here's why I think I'd be a good fit for this job. Hi, my name is Jacqueline Nolas. I have 10 years experience in blah, blah, blah. You're looking for a person who's a blank engineer, and I actually have done several jobs like that. In conclusion, hire me. So, like, the resume is the evidence, and the cover letter is, like, the oral argument in front of the judge. Like, the, okay, here's, like, no, here's the evidence, and here's why I'm going to explain to you why that evidence then meets your criteria. Now, I just said, I don't do the cover letters very much because like I usually don't write the cover letter unless it's a job I really 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 hope I get um so I think a cover letter and we'll I'm sure talk about this more but like a cover letter is a really valuable thing that it can be the extra boost that gets you in but also a lot of times by the time a person might be um considering you as a candidate like the res they, they may only get the resume um so like you know um if I'm on a hiring panel and I have an interview coming up, you know, 10 minutes before the interview, I might read over the person's resume to kind of get a feeling for, okay, who are they? What's their deal? Um, the odds that I will, you know, the the cover letter will be forwarded to me too isn't necessarily as certain. So it's it's kind of like, even if you do write it and not many people do, it's not always clear it's going to go as far. But the resume, everyone's always going to get it. That's the like. Yes. And I think what you hit upon there, right, is not every job will either have like job uh, portal, you know, where you can apply will have a space for a cover letter, or if they do, it might be optional. I will say some places do require it. Now, of course, you can get around that by you like submit a blank word document or just one with the sentences as a cover letter. I would not recommend doing that because I do think if they bother to have it be a requirement, it's worth at least like if you, you know, you can decide how much you like the job if you really want to tailor it a ton to this job, but it's worth at least to like send sort of a form cover letter like we include in our book, which is exactly what you said, Jacqueline, a sort of a story. It's like, you know, why am I interested in this job? What's my background? If you have, you know, quote unquote, a non-traditional background, which is, I say quote unquote, because in data science, it's like, what is a traditional background? But if say you were an art history professor, 
you know, you might spend some time, like we'll talk about this in your resume and the bullet points describing that. Ideally, you've already kind of tied it back to some data science skills, but you can also tell a little bit more of a story in your cover letter and like tie together your experiences if maybe it's not obvious on a resume, like what kind of path you took. Or, or they see their path and they like, I don't get how they went from this to this. You can talk about that in the cover letter. Yeah. And so, yeah, let's, let me just very explicitly lay out when the cover letter and resume will be seen by people at the company. So I think one, and we can talk more about this, is the first thing that happens for a lot of big companies is your resume, when you submit for a job application, the first thing it does is a computer looks and uses some machine learning algorithm to score how good of a candidate they think you might be. And if you are <laughs> over some minimum threshold, a human sees it which is to say a, a resume is used as a screening method for machine learning um, tools so that they can decide where to put the effort of even looking at it. Now, is that ethical? Mm, should companies do that? Mm, I don't know, but they do. Yeah, and, and part of this is we've talked in this podcast before, especially like really big companies are very popular ones like do might get like, especially if they have like an online thing, all you have to do is like one click on LinkedIn, might get tens of thousands of resumes. So that is part of, it's not just they're like, oh, we don't feel like it. It's like this would take, hundreds of hours to like give each one like that's true you know even yeah, just okay. 15 give, seconds give people some credit that's fair so then you make it through the if it exists you make it through the machine and then someone who's a recruiter typically at a company will then take that list of resumes and go through them and this is where the cover letter can matter a lot but the, the recruiter will be like read your resume and cover letter read resume and cover letter. like go through each person and try and fit, find anyone who seems roughly like they have a chance at being a good fit and so when you go, and so there, if you have 10,000 people apply and then maybe a thousand, you know, maybe a hundred make it through the machine or a thousand make it through the machine learning stuff, then a human goes and narrows that down to maybe like 10 or something, maybe or 20. And then at that point, you go on to the interview process, in which case the resume then is the, well, every time someone talks to you, they'll probably look at your resume first so they know who they should be expecting to talk to. Is this someone who's an academic, you know, coming from academia? Are they coming from another job? Do they have 10 years of experience too? So the resume after that is really like a guiding post or like a guide for um, the people. So very much your resume starts as a screening filter and then kind of becomes like the index of your experiences. And I will say, um, so you sort of describe the process at the big company, um, but it's at smaller companies, like, uh, you know, one of the companies I worked at, they, the hiring manager would at least briefly glance at every resume submitted just because it was in this deluge, right. Of like, you know, thousands or tens of thousands. So that isn't to say like every company you apply to is going to like, you know, there might be a screening tool that filters it out, but certainly the big ones, this is very common. And the other difference to at smaller companies is it may go through a recruiter or it may not like. It depends. Some companies, like, again, depending on the volume of receive, like it, every resume might be read by the data science hiring manager and not just by a recruiter. Um, and this is kind of good to keep in mind because one thing we're going to talk about is like when, you know, writing a resume or cover letter to tailor it to uh, the job description. And, you know, the reason for that is like, great, you want to, you know, that then, then the hiring manager is going to be more excited. But also for a recruiter, they might not understand that there are like multiple words meaning the same thing. And if, you know, the, the, uh, the job description says something like, you know, we're looking for someone who knows clustering algorithms and you list on your resume, you never say clustering algorithms, you list k-means, the data science hiring manager would know that that's relevant, but the recruiter may have no idea, right? And they'll say, oh, they don't meet this requirement. So that is 
one of the reasons, especially for jobs you really care about, to spend some time, like just making sure your language matches theirs, emphasizing the experiences they're really looking for. Because a recruiter may very well be like putting the two things side by side and being like, do they check this requirement? Do they check this one? Do they check this one? Yeah. And I really do think data science is especially a situation where people who don't know the tech of it will absolutely not understand that, hey, key means like, like that is just a real problem for our, our field, especially given how new it is, how many people are in it, not that many yet. That's like, and that's why a cover lever can really help of just explain, hey, no, I really do have the experience and things like that. That'll make me a good fit for this job. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. When, when you were hiring Jacqueline, like, so I feel like there's some of our listeners may have heard the statistics, like people only spend like seven seconds on average looking at, at the resume, right? And that leads to a lot of tips around it. Like, so when you were hiring, is, is, is that true? Like, did you just very briefly and like skim it? And if so, what did you like, what did you look for in, in, the, in the page or the two page resumes? Or did you spend longer on each one? So yeah, you'd be lucky to get seven seconds with me. No, um, really, when I was like a director hiring for a data scientist on my team, you know, the recruiter at my company would maybe send me like, you know, four or five resumes um, every couple of days. And then each one, I probably spend like, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute on it tops. Maybe maybe a little less, maybe a little more. Typically, what I would do is I'd real quick go through and like, look, hey, do they have some data science experience in their past? Where are they coming from? How recently have they done data science? Do they seem strong? Do they, you know, like like just kind of real quick, just get a feel for like, okay, what's their kind of expertise? Um, so things that would look really good. Hey, they listed data science techniques. Like, hey, I used a K-means algorithms to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, you know what a K-means algorithm is. And I can read that. Oh, you seem like you use it in a reasonably interest, you know, you, in a reasonably correct way. Um, you know, stuff like that. Really just like exhibits of them having done programming. Oh, you wrote some R software that did a blah, blah, blah. You use Python to blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. You kind of got it, right? Like just real quick trying to check off, hey, do they seem like they meet the minimum requirements for worth trying to talk to and see if they could do the job? And if yes, great. Then I bring them in for an interview. And if not, no, then they would not get an interview and they would not hear again. Um, and that is a surprisingly quick task. But this is exactly the kind of thing where it's like, if you spend a lot of time thinking about how can I make my resume most clear so that quickly people will understand that I have some data science skills, it goes great. And if you're like, I want my resume to be a long list of every activity I've ever done, starting with that time I babysat and then my my time making underwater baskets in the Bahamas or whatever, then it's gonna be a lot harder. I have to really like struggle to read this and be like, wait, can I squint and see any data science work on here? Um, or, you know, hey, there's data science work, but I can't tell if you are like the lead data scientist running the team or if you happen to sit next to the data scientist and, you know, um, bought their shoes from the shoe polisher. I don't know, but the point is like, <laughs> that's, yeah, I know, your <laughs> viewers can't tell the face Emily's making at this pain metaphor. Um, but the point is like, it really should be clear to the person reading the resume very quickly, hey, here's the data science chops you have. And it doesn't have to be a job, it can be a project, it can be a boot camp, it can be whatever, but like that should come across very quickly. Um, and that, that if you could do that for me in 30 seconds to a minute, then boom, you got the interview. What about for like senior versus junior data scientists though? I mean, I think probably those like broad principles, like I wanna see your experience, but you know, a junior person may be saying, well, I've not, you said one of the things you look for, have they worked in data science for? They may be like, no, but like I need to like, you know, it's like I need the the, eternal paradox of needing experience to get experience. So what do you look for juniors then? Right, no, and that was totally fine. Like if you had someone who was like, I did mechanical engineering, I got a degree in mechanical engineering, and then I worked for two years at GE as a mechanical engineer, and then I did a data science bootcamp. 
I'd be like, okay, that's great. I can see that you put some work into learning some data science skills. And mechanical engineering still is very mathematical. So like I could see you could potentially be useful. Sure, maybe you come in for a junior. So I actually was very broad, and maybe I'm different from other hiring managers, but I was very broad with what I would consider good enough to get in for a junior level. And at the senior level, it just I had to see like more years of worth of data science work, not just okay, cool, you did a boot camp, but like okay, I want to see some years working at it, you know, at a company doing some data science thing. Maybe you were an analyst, or you know, maybe it wasn't quite a data science named job, but something like data science, and then you kind of moved on um, into a more data sciencey role for a senior thing. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is it's super broad. There's no exact rules. It was really just like, a, eh, this person feels like they might know what they're, they're doing mm -hmm. at the level I expect. Yeah. But I like what you said about mechanical engineering. Like you said, like, oh, and that's basically, that's still related. That's still quite mathy. And so I do think that's sometimes there's uh, like, that's kind of automatic for people like, oh, software engineering, like they can make the connect, the hiring manager can make the connection themselves, right? Like, oh yeah, they were programming. And so, you know, and maybe in Python specifically, that's great. But sometimes maybe the hiring manager won't make that connection. Like, I don't know, again, the art history professor, and that's where it's really helpful in the cover letter or in the resume to make that connection for them. Because those skills, you, you very well might have skills that are relevant, right? You're used to reading like, research papers, you're used to communicating to a range of audiences, right? Maybe you teach graduate students and like art history 101 to the undergrads. Uh, and, and that's where I think, you know, if, if you know, not, not to, to one for your own sake, like really try to think about, okay, it's not your background that you had previously is not like a, a, a detriment, but you know, I know like great data scientists who are English majors, these other things like learning to communicate, um, writing well, very important things. And just trying to, make those connections where you can and make that clear to the hiring manager is really helpful. Yeah. And I will say that I think, yeah, I will say this, um, you know, people kind of, when you're applying to jobs, you kind of this feeling of like, I'm sending my resume off, but like, will it even get looked at? Cause there's so many mm. people are so much better. And these resumes, like they're like, they're, this is such a, everyone's, but like as a person who is on multiple companies been on the hiring side and doing the interviews and things like that, it is not common for me to get a resume to be like, oh man, I don't know what to do. There's so many good people to interview. That is never my problem, <laughs> right? It's 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 very rare. Like I just, it's not very common to find people who are just like absolutely the perfect fit for a job. Like everyone has some weird quirk on their resume that makes them not quite the perfect fit and that's fine. Um, people still get jobs anyways, but which is to say don't, worry when you're writing your resume that like, well, if this doesn't exactly match exactly what they're working for, I won't get the interview. The 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 clearance, I think, in general to get in to be good enough to get in an interview is maybe broader than it may seem at first glance. I also just remembered so I, I, I want to walk back a little bit what I said of like, oh, if you're a software engineer, they can make the connections themselves. So it's like kind of true. But I remember the hiring managers at like uh one of my companies being Saying something like, you know, some of the resumes I get, like, are, I have no idea why you're applying for a data analyst position. Like, you have computer science, you have software engineer, like, maybe they didn't include a cover letter. Like, did they hit the wrong button? Like, nothing is like, yeah, maybe they're skilled to do it, but I have, like, no evidence that they're interested in this, no, like, projects they list or whatever. So, like, you do, you do want to make sure, like, somewhere on the resume is, like, again, it's not that you necessarily worked as a data scientist, but something that shows, like, you're interested in whether that's, you know, you're, you're in, what, by maybe showing like side projects or stuff like that, right? Of like something that indicates to them like, oh yes, I know the job I'm applying for and like, here's why. Yeah, yes, exactly. And I would, 
I agree with that. And I would say that it is like so common to get resumes in like that, that are just like, this is totally like, I have no idea why you would apply to this job. That's why I think the like the net is a lot wider for what gets an interview because like just so many of those are like, oh, I I cannot grasp why you thought you would want this job or right. why we would want you to have it. Like, yeah. Shall we take a break? Sure. Hungry for some valuable insights? Take a load off with some flavor-blasted A-B testing. Experimentation gives you the delicious power you need to make it through those tough impact questions. Try our many flavors, Original, Multi-Arm Bandit, and Bayesian. Get a bunch of munchable testing insights today. Woo! I do yeah. love that. I, I mean, A-B testing, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of what you I know, do. That's, I've never, like, I've had almost no experience with testing as a data scientist. That's one of the areas I'm weakest in. But yeah, it shows like right, the diversity of data science jobs. There are many things that you've, you've done a lot of like natural language processing stuff, have not done that beyond just like, I don't know, well, not making a word cloud, um, but like essentially making a one, like a bar chart that's, that's basically a word cloud. That's all NLP is. You get right down to it. It's mostly fancy word clouds. Um, I'm, I'm uh, only like a third joking. Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah, cool. but I feel like, uh, you know, we, we kept being like in that, in that hey, we're going to get to this, we're going to get to this. So now we're getting to it. We're getting to like the, the brass tacks. What is that? Ta- tax? Yeah, brass tacks. Where tax. does that come from? Tax. Okay, the brass tacks yeah. of just like, how do you write a resume? What makes a good resume? And I think we are going to focus more on a resume than a cover letter, basically because like we were talking about, pretty much any job you're going to write a resume for. Um, whereas a cover letter is, you know, maybe some jobs you don't, you don't submit it, or even if you do, it, it is generally a little bit less important than the resume. Um, and I have my, I just pulled up my resume right here so I can use that as an example. And like, I'm sure we'll talk about tips and be like, wait, no, I didn't actually do that one. So maybe, maybe I'll get some live resume critique. So I guess to start us off, I'm actually going to start based on a Twitter poll I did because I was very curious about this, um, on the length of your resume. Because I've always advised having a one-page resume. And then someone commented on this podcast page where I gave that advice that, like, I agree with what Emily says, like, all these other stuff, but, like, not the resume length. Like, no, 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 it should be two pages. So I did a Twitter poll because I was curious what other people thought. And the Twitter poll came back. Um, so essentially, like, half the people, I, I put, like, a just see results thing. So half the people chose that because I asked only for hiring managers to answer. Um, and I said, like, if you are, so have been a technical hiring manager. So I didn't just submit data science. When hiring a mid-level individual contributor, do you prefer to see resumes that are one page, two page, or doesn't matter? And so one page got 22% of people, two pages, 12%, and doesn't matter slash depends, uh, 16%. That does not add up to 100. Well, yeah, well, I told you, well, 50% was the C results. Oh, sorry. I was okay, too lazy yeah. to, like, no, double, double okay, it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yes. So, so basically, so yeah, almost half the people said like one page and uh, like a quarter said two pages. And I guess like, a, I don't know, I'm not doing the math right. Anyway, not important. But... <laughs> this is the data science podcast. You gotta. Yeah. But, but the, uh, I know it's like, I can't do arithmetic. I will say mine is two pages and you'd be like, but Jacqueline, you're fairly senior. And I think mine has been two pages for like the last eight years. Like I don't, it's been, it's been most, in fact, I'm going to look. So the earliest copy of my resume I have was from 2015. So that's five years ago. Oh, no, it was one page five years ago. That's still okay. decently se- yeah. senior anyway. But yeah, I mean, I think that's that's part of the reason I said mid-level is maybe I should have been clear. I didn't mean someone who's like going, who's had like five or 10 years of relevant experience, maybe five years. But I thought the comments were really 
illuminating because I think they get to the point where like one person, Mikhail Popov commented, I definitely prefer clarity, readability, and honesty more than a specific page counts. I don't want to stare at a dense one pager with a tiny font size for five minutes. So I think that's essentially, I think the biggest point I want people to take away is if you do have, say, a lot of relevant experience or like a lot you really want to express, like definitely don't try to squish it into one page because it's important to like have that readability to have white space, all of that. That being said, if you're going for a junior position, I don't think it's likely you have more than a page of relevant experience. And I think you can uh, edit it down to one page. Uh, and that's why I generally advise people for one page, because often the people I'm speaking to are going for their first position in data science. Even if it's not their first industry position, even if you've had 10 years of industry experience, you can probably, the amount of that to make like very relevant to like the data science job for someone to get when they're skimming, you can probably narrow it down. I really find it a struggle to get down to a page or just figure out what is worth taking out. Like at what point, right? Like let's say you are, let's say you were a software engineer and then you switched to data science and you've been a data scientist for two years. At what point should you stop including the software engineering experience, right? Eventually your resume gets so long that you want to tighten up. But knowing where that cutoff is, I think is very difficult. So um, I think it's easy for people when talking about resumes to be like one or two pages, blah, blah, blah. But like to, you know, to the point that you were just discussing, it is really, a, really, a, it depends situation there's no rules here yeah although i will say one more point that someone commented on for one page was that tools for resume screening like greenhouse such lever makes it hard to view anything longer and she said like two pages okay if truly necessary but like make sure you capture enough on the first page to make the sell um like to the person so that is like one if you're like really on the brink and you're like oh i don't know like maybe that tips it over a little bit to a one pager just because uh, it sounds like in some circumstances, it's just easier to view. Yes, I, I and I would say I designed my resume that way of if you threw away the second page, I'd be like, well, you still got the gist. It's fine. And I think, you know, and it depends, like if you've worked like I think if you're a software engineer where you worked at one company versus you've worked at five, I think it's it's harder because for the one company, you could be like, OK, I'm just going to remove some bullet points describing my work. But it's like for the five companies, it's like, well, if I want to include all five, even if each one, I only put one bullet that just yeah. takes up a lot of it's space. Stupid. So, there... <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say, like, right, you start thinking about things like, um, like personal projects, for example. I do think become less important, like as you advance. So maybe you have that section for when you're starting out. Uh, you know, when you're more junior, you don't have like job experience that you can show, or you put more details about the boot camp you did or the academic work you did. Versus like, okay, once you're a couple years past that, like you, you, you sort of let you, you focus more on the work experience. You maybe don't need to share personal projects. Jacqueline's making this face that I don't understand. Uh, I will just say it's because I still You still have your personal projects? Personal projects. <laughs> yeah, because they're fun and they're they teach fun. you a little that's bit true. about me, you know? Like... That's true. Oh, yeah. So that's one little point is like the hobbies on a resume. Um, some people have, did you ever put like a hobby section? Okay. I did not put a hobbies. I did put for a very long time the fact that in the summer after my freshman year of college, I was a pirate tour guide and I dressed up like a pirate and talked like a pirate. That was very much on my resume when applying to corporate jobs <laughs> to show that I have personality and yeah. I fun. And also that's great. Um, but that that is no longer on there, <laughs> but honestly should be because that was a really great job and I think it shows yeah. an interesting, fun person you want to hire me. But let's let's actually back up a little bit. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you sure you don't want to just keep going on this pirate tour no, guy? No, 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 I don't mean about the pirate tour guy, but like the resume length of like backing up of like basic structures of a resume. Right. And I don't want to spend too long on this. Like I said at the start, a lot of people listening probably somewhat familiar with resumes, but like, right, 
the, the general structure resume is you have some sort of like header section where you're like your name, make sure you have your name, they should know who you are, um, your contact info, so at the very least your email, although um, also people often put phone numbers um, and links to like LinkedIn or GitHub, so just sort of like a little bit of just like relevant links, who you are, and then um, different sections. And so the sections you might have, and we go through all of this in the book, are work experience, and education, those I think are pretty much mandatory. Um, and, and so, you know, the education can just be like, I got my degree from this university at this time as I graduated, uh, here's my major. Work experience should have your jobs when you held them. You know, again, you don't have to go to your babysitting job or, you know, if you're five years out of college, you don't need your college, you know, internships. Um, but like your job titles, when you held them. And then I think like really, some of the meat and like those, those, the first couple parts, right? Those are all pretty easy. Like I know when I worked, um, I know what degree I got, but the, the part that might take a little more time is coming up with these bullet points for describing your job. There's one, sorry, there's one other thing, the skills section. Yes. The skills section. I think that, yes, in non-technical jobs, it's easy, but yeah, that, that's easy. Yeah. Non-technical jobs might not have that, but yes, our technical jobs is often open. This can be relatively short, but just like Usually what you'll want to list is like the programming language. So like if you know Python or R or SQL, um, I wouldn't do Excel because I don't know kind of everyone. It's just like- That's also on my resume. Jacqueline. Yeah. I'm just resume. tearing through it. Yeah, um, You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't list like 40 things. Like I have to list every machine learning algorithm I've ever used because um, <laughs> that can just like- I will it. say this. Yeah. I will say this. I do not list technical algorithms and methods. Like I don't do you, list neural Do you list like problems. clustering? Do you even list like no. margin? No. Because I find that so vacuous, mm. right? It's either like so vague clustering that doesn't mean anything or it's so specific. I'm like, it doesn't make sense. Because if it's like, I know, you know, I know how to do k-means clustering like if you didn't have your on your resume i would still trust you could figure mm -hmm. it out fairly quickly yeah i do put tech and so like but like people put it in that's fine but i agree don't list like 40 of them list if you are gonna list like just four or five that show you have like if you list neural nets that shows that you have an understanding of like that area you don't have to list every type of neural network blah, blah, blah. but i do also very much i list some technical stuff and i highlight the ones that i think i'm strong at like i'm very strong in r and python and I put like I used I used MATLAB five years ago, ten years ago. So I put that on there in familiar, but like I don't list that as like an important thing. Yeah. So that's yeah. also a little controversial of should you put like star ratings or, you know, something that indicate or words like strong or whatever to indicate like which ones you're stronger in. So I think right, like the pro kind of is is do the interviewers then know that, right? Like and they and they realize like, okay, like maybe I shouldn't quiz her on like MATLAB, but you can pick it up again and quiz her on Python. The the con I've heard from a recruiter I talked to is that if you use like the star system, then it kind of makes them question of, I don't know, like if you put five stars for everything, that seems kind of conceited. But if you put like three stars for something, it's like, oh, maybe like they don't really know it. So I don't know. This is yeah. my pedestal. Yeah. I think there should be some way to put on your resume of, I used to be good at this and it's been a while. <laughs> but so I don't quiz me, but I could pick it back up because I did it once, yeah. i.e. Tableau. I don't know, but like, I don't want to pick it. But what do we like? Would you really want to pick MATLAB up? Like, I don't know. I don't want a job. Like, no, I use but, SPSS but, and I don't want a job that wants me no, to use okay, it. No, okay. No, but, okay. But I have Power BI on here. And I like Power BI. And okay. I haven't used Power BI in like five years, but I liked it. I could pick it up again if you needed me to. Please hire, if you have a Power BI job, please hire me for it if I'm applying because that's great. Don't quiz me on it in the interview because it's been five years. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. And I will say for yeah. the skills section, ideally, 
someone could find that in other parts of your resume because you put it in like the bullet points for the job description or in the personal projects that like, you know, use the clustering algorithm to do X, like, you know, wrote uh, automated R processing using Python. Like if you only have those words in your skill section, I think that makes a person kind of like tilt their head a little bit and be like, okay, where did they get these skills? Because I don't see it anywhere in the rest of the resume. Yes. Yes. That's a very good point. It's like, again, it's like an index for skills that show up throughout your resume. Uh, yeah. So Jack, tell me what, what makes a good, a good bullet point for like when you're, so when you're, or, or maybe you have some examples of like really bad ones that you've seen. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So let's talk about data science specifically. Yes. In, and this is very much going to show up in your resume. You're going to have this like related experience section. You're going to list jobs you had. And for data science, I think there's a very particular thing you want to do where you really want to, they always say like with bullets, it's like, I forget. It's like the action, what you did, the out or the problem, action, outcome or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's very much a like list what those problem, list what you did, list the results sort of a thing people talk about. But I think for data science specifically, it's very helpful to list like what was the technical problem, right? Like helped um, helped create a forecast for, you know, the annual growth in this industry. Mm-hmm. What was the problem? And then list what is the methods you used? I used an ARIMA forecast with, you know, with with time-based you know, autoregressive parameters, blah, 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 like technical words. And then the result, and the result being, and this forecast ended up powering our results to our um, to our finance team, something like that. Now, a couple points on this that I, I find, contra- I think are con- maybe controversial. One is people, like the kind of resume general vices always include numbers and metrics. Mm-hmm. When they say, what was the result? What percent growth right, did quantify. your model? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah, but I think that's largely ridiculous right because like so much data science work it's like if you created a really valuable forecast and it helped the data you know helped the finance team do their work there may not be a number it might just be you made a great forecast and the entire team used it and so the idea that it has to have a number to be valuable i don't think that's quite true yeah but but, but yeah oh you go but, okay do it no you get me <laughs> yeah me. i was gonna say but that doesn't get get you out of using the impact because i think there's such a difference between saying made a clustering outcome you know, to, to, or made a forecasting thing. And it's like, okay, but like, was it ever used? <laughs> like, yeah. does it, right? So maybe you don't quantify it, but you're like, that's now used like the daily one. Or if you automate things that like, I mean, I think it's good to try to make estimates if you can. Like I, you could say, for example, well, we automated this process um, that, that reduced the time needed to create this report from two days to like 30 minutes. And like, Maybe you didn't know before it takes two days, but ask. Like, I think it's also important internally. Like, ask your stakeholder, like, what was the benefit of all this work that we just did? And maybe they'll be able to quantify it for you. Right. And maybe the benefit was we presented at blank conference. Sure. Right? Like, maybe. Sure. Like, there's a lot of ways you could quantify, or maybe not quantify. There's a lot of ways you could discuss the impact. And you should. Um, That's important. Don't feel like you have to, like, I've seen people stretch and come up with weird numbers just to technically Right. Or if you're, like, a decision science, you could say, like, did this analysis that... Uh, you know, presented to the CEOs and I, I don't know how you say this, but like, you know, to, to choose where our new retail store is, right? It's not necessarily like you could try to quantify like, oh, did we save them lots of money or whatever? But like the point there is the impact was your analysis was used to make this decision. So then, and let's go backward a step too. So you, you list the problem, you list what you do. When mm-hmm. it comes to listing what you do, I think it's very valuable to talk about here, talk about the programming language and yes. the method, right? So for instance, um, you know, use a simulation technique in R or created a, a, a customer lifetime value forecast with XGBoost in Python, 
right? Like some sort of description of the, here list the machine learning algorithm you used and the language you used to do it. There's a twist here, which is that a lot of times, and especially for people who are junior and trying to break into data science, you will have, this is very much a place where you want to, I don't know, fudge isn't quite the right word. You want to kind of tip the scales a little bit where technically what you did might have been weird, obscure words from biology to do an analysis to figure out which chromosome, blah, blah, blah. But it is so similar to a data science blank analysis that sometimes you want to focus on the words here and try and understand, is there any way I can make it so that this sounds more data science-y? So instead of like, I don't even know enough biology to pretend I'm doing biology, but like instead of like, yes, ran blank tests on chromosomes, be like, ran a A-B experiment. Like, did you call it an A-B experiment in your, when you were doing it? No, but was it one? Sort Technically, sure, yeah. Like, you know, that sort of stuff can really make a huge difference. And then in your interview, you can talk about, well, yeah, you know, it turns out that we used blank blank on chicken chromosomes, which is actually just like the A-B test you run at your retail store, you know, like. And I, and I do think for, um, you know, going back a little bit to the quantifying, the other thing you can you can do is might not always be your impact, but you know, let's say you could, you know, you want to show like let's say biology, like my my brother's background computational biology. I, I don't know what his resume looked like, but I imagine one of the things he could show is like he worked with really big data, and so his uh, methods had to be efficient, and so he could say like you know analyzing millions of RNA sequences, and you know, you know, you could say like reduce algorithm time to analyze these sequences from like 40 minutes to one minute or whatever to analyze millions of RNA sequences and just trying to get people to understand the scale that you were working on as well. Because the other thing that makes obvious is, I mean, you should say he wasn't doing it in Excel, but he wasn't doing it in Excel because Excel can't handle 10 million rows. Yeah. And I do think that's a really valuable point. Really understand the audience, right? If you're applying to jobs because you're interested in working with large data, then make sure you're these bullets talk about the size of the data, right? Or for me, I'm really interested in working with, you know, maybe I really want a job where I get to play with neural nets. Well, then make sure that anytime I use a neural net, that's very clearly described. Um, it is possible to, I mean, it's often a good idea to have multiple versions of your resume for different types of jobs. Um, I try to avoid that if possible, because that is a lot of work maintained. And ideally, I'm only applying to one type of job. But depending on your point of your career, you may want to apply to three different types of jobs to see what's possible. And so, you know, really two tastes. I would say. Yeah. And and what some people have heard do for that is like you have a master resume that's that's perhaps like quite long and then you, you know, and you have like six bullet points on one job because like some of them are more analytic, some of them are more like machine learning and you can kind of just basically just delete when you when you're like okay, I'm applying to this sort of job and they really care about natural language processing versus another job really cares about experimentation. But I do think your point is very valid that like also maybe it's time to reflect a little bit if you're applying to like very different jobs and really need to do this a lot of like, you know, are, are you really interested in like in all three types or, or you know, like go back to, to the previous episode where I talk about like figuring out what you're interested in. Yeah. I also, speaking of looking at our own resumes, I pulled mine up. I will say somewhere it's hard to quantify the impact or, or even like have any impact is like a personal project, right? Because you did it. Personal, like, I don't know, like, are you supposed to say how many, like, medium readers you got? Uh, <laughs> I was 20% happier than right. before I did the project, yeah. So, so I'll say, like, I'm looking back at mine, so, like, here's one art bullet point I have, which, like, analyzed over 2,200 election articles from the New York Times, obtained via a API using TF, IDF, and NMF, visualizing topic distribution over time. I think that's a fine bullet point, right, I sort of say, but I think what really 
matters a lot more for that um, experience is I wrote a blog post about it and someone can see those visualizations. They see me like talk through the process. Similarly, I also talked, so the only two projects I mentioned is that one and an application I built using Shiny and R for recommending freelancing jobs, which is also available for anyone to look and is linked on the GitHub. So tell me about, let's talk about this. Should your resume link to GitHub, to your blog post? Mm-hmm. If, what if you don't have these things? What about LinkedIn, blah, blah, blah. Like how should you think about linking your resume to other stuff? I think, yes, if there's something valuable there, if basically they would think better having visited that. I think, uh, I think we've talked about this maybe on someone else's podcast of like, the practice of linking to a GitHub that is empty or the only thing it has is like one cloned like repo from somewhere else where you didn't do anything, like that is not helpful, right? Because I think that person heard the advice linked to your GitHub. So like, I'm gonna link to my GitHub. But like, you're not, you know, the, the person looking at that GitHub hasn't gained any knowledge or like become more impressed with you versus you link to a GitHub that like, oh, has like the open source project, like package that you built or like, that project that you talk about in your resume that you did. And so like they can see that code if they want to see it. But I really do think, um, and we talk about this a lot in episode four, but you know, I think yes, if you have something on there, like for example, if you don't maybe link to your cooking blog that you do, unless you like, I don't know, put that in your hobby section and you really want them to know you have a successful cooking blog. Um, but link to your blog if again, like you talk about something relevant. You talk about the time that you made something more efficient in R or you have a tutorial on using Seaborn. Like, yes, definitely link, please. Like if, if, if it is something that you would like them to read or, you know, even if they don't read it, then you can reference it in the interview. Maybe I think you should link to it. Yeah. I will say that when I was a hiring man, you know, as the hiring manager and I was hiring people, I generally wouldn't click on stuff unless I'm like, oh, that's interesting and I'm intrigued and I want to learn more about you. So like that's a high bar. Most of the time when people link stuff, I did not click it. But one of the bars would be, oh, you have a GitHub. I want to see your code. So yes, if I went there and it'd be empty, it'd be a bummer. Um, but if you have like a blog post, if you if you had a cooking blog, I might click it because I think that's fascinating. <laughs> but I think that's a good point. Your resume should be interesting enough that it inspires them to look at the GitHub. Like don't assume like, they look at your resume and they're like, that doesn't fit at all. And then they'll click your GitHub and be like enlightened. Like they're probably not going to get click your GitHub if they're not interested by your resume. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's like another, it's, it's another way you can reel them in. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think if you can link, like if you're, you as part of your job, you made a report that like got published publicly yes. as part of your company, like link to that. Cause like people might be interested, like, but also there's like, there's like, the, there's the, the, the thing is you are, you are, it's like a promise, right? If there's a link, like you're promising me when I'm mm-hmm. clicking on something, I will find something interesting and more. And so it breaks my heart if I click on it and like it's an empty GitHub or it's a it's a dead link. Or even like, I get why people put their LinkedIn on resumes. Like I, I get it. But also usually your LinkedIn just has the exact copy yeah. of your resume. So I don't necessarily know it's huge value. I mean, it's kind of nice because on LinkedIn, when someone clicks on your profile, you get to a little notification. So sometimes like that'll give you like a little catch because be like, oh, someone from that company is looking at my resume. But like largely... Yeah. I mean, thinking of those as like, hey, these are, you thought the resume was good. Wait till you click this blog post about R or cooking, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that, I think can really be viable. Um, here's another thing that people talk about with resumes and it kills me inside. Um, and this is not data science specific, but there's so much about like, what about the fonts resume? <laughs> what about italics? Should you have an objective statement and blah, blah, blah. Um, I guess I'm kind of using this facetious tone because my general feeling is that, oh no, in fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I should have said this for the interview episode, but I'm so excited about it. The thing that kills me when people talk about in interviews, when you're interviewing, they're like, 
they, they warn you when you're like prepping for an interview, like the person's going to walk in, they're going to ask you, do you want a glass of water? And you have to always say yes, because if you says no, wait, really? That shows your weakness. I've this is the thing that. real people say, <laughs> or maybe it's the reverse. Maybe you have to say no, because otherwise it shows you're greedy. But it's like it's way over indexing on something that doesn't matter because it's easy mm. to control that. It's easy to control what they say yes or no to the water and not the rest of the interview. That is also true on what font do you choose? Do you use serifs or sans serifs? Right? What paper do you print the resume out on? Right? All these things are things that are controllable, and it's like, oh wow, I can I can get the right paper. Maybe this will get me the job. But none of that's going to matter as much as, hey, did you do a side project or not? Hey, does that GitHub have stuff on it? Like that stuff matters so much more, but it's not a quick, easy fix. So yeah, go out there, read the blog posts and resume fonts and bullet points and italics and even one page or two page. But like ultimately all of this is like, I don't know. Um, I'm not doing good with metaphors today. I don't know. Anyways, there's like all this is inconsequential compared to the, mm-hmm. the meat of what's in the resume. And, and, and presumably the hiring manager will see through your beautiful selection of font choice to um, to know whether or not you're um, a good fit for the job. I, I wouldn't say it doesn't matter at all, because but I think it matters only to the extent of like, how does it serve to make your resume clear and easily skimmable? Right. So like if you change font every bullet point. Right. And you change the size like that's going to like distract someone from the meat of your resume. So basically you want to limit the distractions. So, for example, I do think like a valuable tip is just try to keep consistent formatting. Right. If you bold the job, uh, you know, the company name, bold it in all the company names, like don't switch back and forth. Um, but like not, but I don't care, but it doesn't matter whether they're all bolded or they're all not bolded. Just be consistent. It doesn't matter which font size you use, but please don't use or like between 11 and 14 like font size, it doesn't matter. But like, yeah, if you use size five font, that's going to be a problem because it's going to make it really hard to read. Yeah, I've hired people with resumes that were difficult font choices and things like that. And I've also not hired people who've had really terrible, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I think like none of the, it's sort of the same thing when people say about like proofreading. Like I do think it's just you sort of never know and just like put your best foot forward because like, as in like, if you have a couple typos on your resume. There may be some jobs where they really don't care. There may be some jobs where like, that's just a really easy thing for a hiring manager to be like, oh, you're on the fence anyway. And like, I don't think you're detail oriented now. And like off your resume goes. I will say that over the course of this podcast, I've had my resume open. I've noticed two typos on my resume. It's amazing anyone's ever hired. I know. Truly. (laughs) I do think, I mean, I think, look, all this is saying, right, basically is boiled down to like, if you're incredibly qualified for the job and you are their dream candidate, they are not going to, and you, you like vaguely manage to like convey that on your resume. They will like absolutely not care that it's in size five font. Cause they're like, Oh my God, this is our dream person. We need them. If on the other hand, like you are, you know, trying to break into the field or these other things, like you might like want like little, not so stand out. You don't want to stand out in the wrong way. Right. You don't want to, to give them a reason to be like, eh, I don't know. Like they have these typos, they have these things, you know, they have whatever. Like I think for you, Jacqueline, it doesn't matter. You've, you've a ton of very relevant experience for a lot of companies, but like maybe for like a junior person who's applying to, you know, a big company where they're like just looking for reasons to scream people out. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and their true. resume, like otherwise, like does, like, you know, they don't have any experience that really like stands out in, 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 the, in the positive way. If they have something that's like negative, like, oh, it's really hard. They picked a really small font. Or like they're really inconsistent in this formatting. It might just be easy for them to be like, all right, off you go. Yeah. So let's say I think both things are true. Both Jacqueline's perspective of, oh, my God, don't over index on trying to fix all these small things because at the end of the day, that's not what matters. But your point of also, hey, also don't bomb all of them because that actually will matter. Like that that can matter. 
Um, I think those are both very valid points. So uh, with that, uh, shall we take a break? Let's do it. Okay, we're back. Um, and so to end this week, we have a game. Um, so this game. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. We didn't talk too much about this in the podcast so far, but there's also this like weird resume grammar, right? Where like you, it's like it's not like I don't even know what tense it is, mm-hmm. but it's like help to devise a blah blah blah. It's like right. You always start with a verb. Right. You never use the I word, and it's just it's weird. And my hunch was we could take a data science resume, in this case my resume, and we can play Mad Libs with it. In which case <laughs> Emily's gonna make up the words, and it would end up sounding just like a normal data science resume. Okay. A little funny, but it should still mm-hmm. sound just like a resume because of this grammar uh, of the the resume. So we're gonna play Mad Libs. So Emily, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you for some types of words All for right. people who haven't listeners who haven't played Mad Libs. It's you basically it's like you take a word doc that has a lot of holes in it and you fill it in with words and you get funny results. So so we're gonna start, Emily. The first thing I need from you is an adjective. Now, should I try to make it relevant to data science or should I just pick any? I don't think so. I think you should just okay. have fun with fluffy. it. Fluffy, fluffy. Okay. Uh, noun. Uh, dog. That's too dog. similar. <laughs> okay, that's too similar. Eyes. No, no, no. That's too similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, experiment. Experiment. I like it. Um, a type of person. Um, like what? Like artist? Like that type of thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's perfect. Okay. Um, noun. Um, glasses. Okay. A, a name of a company. Uh, Amazon. A task you might do. Analyzed. Um, a noun. Uh, textbook. Are you just reading the things next to you? I am looking you around next to me and like trying to... <laughs> I don't actually have a dog next to me, but otherwise, yes. Okay. Um, another name of a company. Code Academy. Uh, a name of a product. Like iPhone? Sure. Uh, an event. Um, an event. Christmas. Okay, I'm going to read what we have so okay. far, and then we'll keep going. So here's my resume. As a principal data scientist, I co-founded a fluffy company that helps comp- clients solve complex experiments and AI problems. I was the founding artist on the glasses team at Amazon. I created a deep learning analysis model with TensorFlow and R in, in production, in, into production textbook, serving millions of customers a day. Code was open source and adopted by the public. I helped Code Academy with the beta of the iPhone. Presented, I presented the work at Christmas. Um, that's what I got so far. Wait, what wait, do you think? I, I, are you actually reading? Do you have in your resume all these eyes, or you're just adding the eyes to the bullet points? Because you were reading. Oh, I did. You're right. I did add the eyes. You added the because eyes because it seems so foreign. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Interesting. Because I was yeah. going to ask, was that first part an objective statement that you have, or, or oh, what does it actually no. read? That's okay. This is interesting. So now we're we're out of the game. We're in learning. Yeah. So my top thing, I said, principal data scientist, right. Nolas LLC. And so under that, I had a very high level summary of that, like a one sentence. Mm-hmm. I co-founded the blah 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 blah, and then I had three bullets. And I do that for all of my jobs, where I'm like, here's a very high level summary. Yes. Here are the accomplishments, I th- which you know I think is a, a strategy. Yeah. You don't have to. Do I, th- it, I think that's good actually. I did that too for my. I I I think especially if you're at a company that's not, if your previous job was like a company they may not know, it's kind of helpful to give a little context of like what is this company. So you know you can say like I didn't do it for Etsy, but I did it for Data Camp because like many people may not know what that is. And just to give the context, like there's this many learners. It's this online learning platform. Uh, yeah. So I, it's a preference. I kind of like you know, but I wouldn't necessarily like I wouldn't do like. 
for Google being like, Google is a company, you know, that is a whatever, whatever. Like you, you can assume they probably know what Google does, but uh, yeah. yeah, no, but, but you like, even if you are user experience researcher at Google, what does a user experience researcher do? You know, yeah. like, but I think like, that can be conveyed yeah. in your bullet points though. I don't know. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I think it's to taste. Like okay. Many resume things. okay. I got a couple more for you. I need a verb that ends in ing. I forget what those are called. Gerald? No. Creating. Creating. No, that's too, make it a little more weird. Um, <laughs> um, no, running is not, reading? I don't know. Sure. Well, sure. Uh, a noun. Uh, I really am just like looking around my room being like, what are the <laughs> nouns? Plant. So go to the beach. What do you okay. see? I know, go to a, think of a place and then umbrella. do that same thing in the imagine. Umbrella. Okay. Perfect. Um, a data science method. Um, boosted trees. Uh, a noun. Swimsuit. Um, and one more noun. Park. Park. Okay. So I, oh, you're right. Yeah, so I did it again. In the eyes. It's very, yeah, it's so weird. Okay. So here's just the bullet. Invented a new method for reading the umbrella by using boosted trees on millions of customers under different swimsuit scenarios, used parks, and was hosted on Azure. Yeah. These sound surprisingly normal. I'm like almost, I'm almost like disappointed in how uninteresting this game is. Not that it's boring, but I'm like, oh, I was expecting this to be weird. And these just sound like resumes that maybe were fed into like a GPT-3 algorithm. Yeah. Like, but I do think it is helpful, like, like on the, on the, like pulling off the game hat and on the learning hat of like hearing a little bit. Cause even from that, I'm able to glean, oh, you know, like one of the things Jacqueline did was like show it was hosted in the cloud and gave the number of records yeah. and that you like invented something go Hugh. yeah and so actually i think i really very strongly go don't do the quantify my results when i talk about my impact on my bullets i'm always like i created it you know i helped to lead the team that did blah 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 you know or like but i i don't be like and then 20 percent more sales because like you, i just don't think you quantify the process so like let a team of five people like even there you had something said like millions of right you do like have yeah some numbers. no I do, but I don't do that like, mm -hmm. I do that to give you a better understanding of what the job is, not to be like, you know I did a good job because it was millions. Right. You know, like, but you can sometimes, yeah. like, th that is something I do want to bring up. Like, even if you can't exactly quantify, like, I did put on my resume, I think, like, you know, generated tens of millions in additional sales. Um, like, about, like, A-B tests that I, that I designed and implemented and analyzed. Um, I don't know. I think that was, like, there were two reasons I didn't quantify. I mean, like, the main reason I didn't quantify was actually we did internally, but like we could not, and, and like I was not allowed to share those numbers externally. But I think that is something you can do is like, you don't, I, and, and I'd avoid being like, analyze 5.432, you know, million records. It's like, you can just round it, right? It's like, people are interested in the scale, right? Was it like a hundred stuff? Because, you know, it's like thousand is very different from millions. Maybe that's what rubs me the wrong way about the quantify thing. Artificial is, precision. Yeah, it's a pet peeve. I have a lot of data science. Not just artificial precision, but the assumption that the end user will understand what the heck you're talking about. Yeah. Right? If I'm like, wow, our uh, if our blank model, we had 0.9 accuracy. Is 0.9 good? Is 0.9 bad? Like, I don't oh, know. Oh, I wouldn't do. I'd never quantify in terms of, like accuracy of the model. Like, they don't care about that. I'd be like, and this was deployed. No, but I'd be something like this was deployed to millions of users. This led to yeah. a you know, whatever uh, decrease in like something good about like, I don't know, like, like a uh, uh, increase in like decrease in order lead time or something. I, I don't know. Like, like, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't I think, yeah, don't, I, I think that's a good point though. The point is not to quantify stuff about your data science model and like accuracy methods or ROC. 
the point is because just like you, like you said, it's like you need con- even if you're a data science person, you need context to know like is this a tough problem where like actually ninety percent is really good or is that like super easy? Yeah, which is good resume feedback in general of just give people as much context because they won't know what you're talking about unless you give them context, which is hard. But focusing more on like the business impact and that could be quantified, but it even could just be like just. I think pretty much what it boils down to is did someone ever use it? Please. <laughs> like, did this ever matter outside of like the fact that you built it? Like, was it deployed? Did it save a team time? Like, did it help make a decision? Was it put in production? You know, yeah. so on and so forth. Okay, last question. Let's do the last one. I need a verb. Uh, and you want it to be fun. Jumping. Okay, adjective. Cloudy. Um, noun. Plate. Plate. Okay. And then dead programming language. <laughs> no, do any of them really die though? I feel like, okay. like my first one was Fortran, uh, uh, ancient but a lot of people still use Fortran. Fortran, we'll do Fortran. Uh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Helped jump the cloudy forecast for plate demand using regression-based models in Fortran. That honestly sounds like it could be on a resume to me. Like, yeah. Honestly. <laughs> um, yeah. The jump, it could have been, if it was help build the cloudy forecast for plate demand, it would have been like, yeah, that, that could show up on a resume. Yeah. Okay, I want to ask one more thing. Sure. Taking the game half off. It's so you've said a lot like helped lead, helped build, helped do this. Do you have that a lot in your resume? Like the first word is helped? I'm looking now. I have it four times at least. Mm. I do use it a lot. Because I think yeah. I think it's a balance, right? Because you don't want to lie, right? If it was like a team thing, you don't want to be like, I built this, or, or even just imply like I built this all by myself. That being said, I do think it's worth thinking about like maybe where is it some like kind of false modesty, or you can rather focus on the part that you built, right? Like which part did, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think helped I used in my resume now that I'm looking at, this is interesting. Now it's, it is like Jacqueline's resume critique. I use help to mean I was involved in this and I'm not specifying how because I don't have the space, right? So one of them was like, I helped a major company with a beta of a product. Exactly what I did in that, I honestly don't have, but I presented the results, right? So the fact that I present results about it means that my help must have been consequential, presumably. But I think to your point, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be using help so much. Maybe I should be more specific. Yeah, I mean, you might just even like skip to the like presented results on forecasting model. I built like, I don't know. You, I, I think it's worth for someone, for our listeners to try to think, is there a way I could lead with something a little bit stronger than just helped? Yeah, I will say help is not the most, like I do have the majority of things are not the word helped, but I think you're right. Helped is a word that it's a little, little weak. It's not clear what I did on that. And um, yeah, hmm. cool. Well, this is an interesting game slash thought experiment. Yeah, um, no, yeah. I like the little, the, the little Mad Libs. Um, yeah. The fluffy, the fluffy clouds. Uh, <laughs> and, and it really does sort of bring back to like, yeah, I think this would be like, I, 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 if anyone wants a side project idea, you could build a little app or something like built from like real, I don't know, you could do like data science job descriptions or something and like sum up part and like let people enter their stuff and they could like generate a job description um, about like fluffy clouds. Um, with that, uh, let's call it. So that's our show for the week. Uh, check out our next episode as we talk about the interview process. Thank you so much for listening. Please tweet at us uh, or share on LinkedIn your data science opinions, feedback on the show or questions uh, with the hashtag data career. That's data SCI career. You can buy a copy of the book at bestbook.cool and use the code buildbook40%. That's 40% simple for 40% off. Our theme song is by the extremely funny Matt Bouchelle, and thanks to our publisher Manning for helping our book exist. And may your missing data not be encoded as minus 99.